Those of you that have a Bible, we're going to Luke 15. We're going to read the word of the Lord together. And Jesus said, in verse 11, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, hey, father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So the father divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Look at the convergence of things that happened to this young boy at once. Wow, he spent everything. There was a famine. He was in great need. So he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and that man sent him into the fields to feed swine. Always a joy for a Jewish young boy. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, yay, it's always the moment you wait for, isn't it? When he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? Hmm. I will arise and go to my father and say to him, he's rehearsing what he's going to say. Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Let's stop there and pray. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you. We can call you Abba. You are our daddy, and reveal, I pray, reveal your Father's heart to us greatly throughout this day. And you have joy in your heart when we come home to you. So reveal to us that amazing heart of yours. Holy Spirit, illuminate our thinking so we can receive the truth the Word has for us. Your truth sets us free. Therefore, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now watch this next verse. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on them, put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and now is returned to life. He was lost, now is found. So the party began. (laughs) Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants, what was going on? Too much loud music going on in there. What's the deal? Well, your brother's back, he was told, and your father has killed a fattened calf. We're celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. Well, he was outside pouting instead of partying. And his father came out and begged him. But he replied, look, all these years I have slaved for you, and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. Now, the elder brother brought up the younger brother's past. Notice it wasn't the father who did that. Father had already forgiven him. 
His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead. He's come back to life. He was lost. Now he's found. Wow. So I want to look at this story again today. I don't recall how many times I've preached from this passage throughout the years, numerous times in four decades, no doubt, but it's so stocked with insights into the heart of God. Jesus is revealing the Father here to us. And Jesus gives us a peek into the very character of God. And so I want to address the story from a little different perspective than perhaps usually. Prodigal son returns home. He has spent everything of his inheritance. He's worked out on a pig farm. And his so-called friends have abandoned him because he had thought that living away from his father's house would bring greater joy and satisfaction that he somehow was going to discover all he needed all on his own. So he's wasting away. His life is wasted. He's lost everything that his father had given him. He awakens one day, remembering the way it used to be in his father's house. His, his, his recall reminds him that his father's servants are living better than he was out on that pig farm. So he determines in his heart, you know, I'm going to go back to the house I'm only going to ask if I can be your servant. I don't expect you to receive me as your son. I've already taken my inheritance and I've lost everything. I don't qualify for any recognition. But can I just work for you as a servant in your house? And so the story gets unpacked here. Son heads home. He's rehearsed exactly what he's going to say when he sees his father for the first time. I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take, please take me on as your hired servant. Unexpectedly, the father has been out there looking for his son's return. Every day, he's gone out and looked to see if his son would be returning home. The father had planted enough into that boy that there was an expectation inside the father's heart. He was expecting the unexpected. And no one else in the house expected this miracle, but the father did. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him. His heart pounding, he ran out, embraced him, kissed him. And the son started his speech. Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son ever again. But the father was not listening. He was calling to the servants, quick. Bring a clean set of clothes and dress him. Put the family ring on his finger. Put sandals on his feet. Then get that grain-fed heifer and roast it. We're going to have a feast. We're going to have a wonderful time. My son is home. Given up for dead, now alive. Given up for lost, now found. And they began to have a wonderful time. New clothes. Family ring. Sandals on his feet. And that's so significant. Because when you were a slave, they took away your shoes so you couldn't run away. And your heavenly father's love for you is like this. When the father placed new sandals on his son's feet, he was saying, you may think about running away again. You may break my heart again, but my love for you is still the same. I don't love you like people love you. I don't casually love you. I love you through it all. Good, bad, running from me or running to me. My love never changes. Now, the son's not even in the house yet. The father runs out, 
He greets him. He embraces him. He takes him back to the homestead, gets the robe, puts the ring on his hand, the shoes on his feet. He orders up prime rib from that grain-fed heifer. Father's joy. We're going to celebrate. We're going to have a party in our house. Lift up the music. Get some dancers. Redemption and restoration has come to my house. We will celebrate. Cover Christian Center, enjoy what Jesus has done for you. There ought to be joy today. And realize we're not walking around depressed, saddened, long-faced, crying the blues, singing a somebody done somebody wrong song. We are followers of Jesus. We ought to, listen, we ought to reveal the great joy that's in our hearts the thanksgiving for what the Father's done for all of us. There ought to be an air of celebration upon all of us who've been brought back. And if you want to, if you know you're born again and you know that God has changed your life, get these values, biblical values, straightened out in your life. Maybe you don't have the car that you've always wanted to drive or don't live in the house you've always wanted to live in or some amount of money in the bank you've hoped to have by now. If you're born again, if you were dead and now you are alive, it's time to celebrate and rejoice in the Father's plan for your restoration. So the other brother's out in the fields and he's working, doing the job assigned. He returns home at the day's end and he hears this commotion coming from inside the family house. He walks up and he looks listens. There's a celebration. There's music. There's dancing. A party's going on at the family homestead. Obviously, he wasn't there when it started. He walked up on the already going on party. It was already underway. And his reaction? Anger. Says anger. Okay, you're quiet again. The quieter you are, the longer I preach. Okay? So how about a little celebration in the house? Huh? Time to celebrate the goodness of the Lord in his house. And we need not look like depression, oppression, and defeat, and beatdowns. We ought to be celebrating. Don't be like the elder brother be like the one who rejoiced in what God done for, had done for him. We are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. So the other brother, elder brother, looks in at the party and he comes, he comes up with some observations. And I've come up with a couple of my own. And here are my observations. First of all, it says the elder brother got angry. The problem, he had mastered the art of sonship, but neglected the responsibility of brotherhood. And they're both equally important. Religious people master the art of sonship, being a, char, a child of God. I'm a child of the most high God. Oh, good. But they ignore the responsibilities to their brothers and sisters. I love Jesus. Good. Shout. Get happy. Even worship service is going on. But turn right around and not even speak to the brother or sister next to you or behind you. Ooh. It's possible to master the art of sonship. Now you've got a reason to get quiet. And neglect the responsibility of brotherhood. How? By copying an attitude. 
Jesus and I have our own thing going on. So listen, I don't care uh, you know, that I've treat, mistreated you or disrespected you. It's just between him and me, and I don't have to worry about you. Listen, Jesus is invisible to us. Our brothers and sisters are visible to us. And if anyone says, I love God and hates the test, abominates his brother in Christ, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Thank you, John. That was good. Now watch. Your love for Jesus is directly associated with your love for your brothers and your sisters. You don't have a hotline to heaven if you don't love your brothers and sisters in Christ. You can't shout, dance, worship, then walk out seeing somebody who's ticked you off or offended you and give them that kind of an attitude. You cannot celebrate and master the art of sonship and ignore the responsibility of brotherhood. Because Jesus looked at his followers and said to them, but offenses must come. They're going to come to you. You're going to have moments when somebody does something and it will trouble you and offend you. It's time to get over it, Jesus said, because you give it a, an inch and it will destroy you. Offenses will come. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup, that's the communion, the Lord's Supper tonight, without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That's why Paul said to the church at Corinth, many of you are weak and sick and some have even died. So what was going on in that church? They had all the gifts of the Spirit, but they didn't love each other the way they should have. Simply put, if anyone does not love his brother, Jesus said, he does not love me. Listen to John. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must also, must love his brother also. Let the church say amen. Hmm? Paul sat down with a servant, a wealthy landowner, an army officer, a converted slave, and breaks bread with all of them. And Sopater of Berea accompanied him to Asia. Also Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians and Gaius of Derbe and Timothy, and Tychius and Trophimus of Asia. So all of them are welcome at the table at dinner time. every one of them. Large income, small income, average person, high-level officer. It didn't make a difference. Everyone gets to sit down at the supper table. And you must treat your brothers and sisters right if you want your relationship with God to be right. You can't have a sonship if you've got no brotherhood going on. So the Word teaches us to be inclusive of those with different backgrounds and races from different cultures. And many churches today are just too pale. There are few, too, too few brothers in the church. Not enough Asians in the church. Not enough Latinos in the church. Some black churches are too black. Not enough white people in the church. We cannot ignore our brothers and be right with the Father. And if I want more of Him, I have to learn to love this way to get more love this way. That's what He tells us. This is a mission field we live in here. Look around our community. 
All the cultures are represented. And I've heard people, you know, they preach that certain colors of skin are that way because they're cursed. Can you believe that? Some preachers and denominations have misused the story of Ham, one of Noah's sons, and they said, God cursed Ham. Listen to me. Noah did not pronounce a curse on Ham, but on Ham's children who were Canaanites. And the Canaanites represented sin. God did not curse color. He cursed sin. God says our problem is not a skin problem. See, it's a sin problem, not skin. And the only thing that will fix that sin problem is the red blood that flowed down from Calvary's cross. We have mastered the art of sonship, all too often neglected the responsibility of brotherhood. I am my brother's keeper. And no matter whom you are, what skin color you have, education level, you are as special to God as anyone else in this entire room. Science has collaborated through their research as what the scripture seems to indicate to us. The color of skin has primarily a lot to do with how much exposure entire tribes and clans had to the sunlight and how close they were to the equator. And and when the Son of God looks at us, he sees no variance whatsoever. Want proof? When the father gathers the bride for his son's celebration, here's how that bride's going to look. You are worthy to take the scroll. They're talking to Jesus and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. You can't ignore your brother and be right with the father. That's what the elder brother was doing. He hated his brother, but he claimed he was right with his father. doesn't work like that. So listen to John. Again, a new commandment I write to you. Which thing is true in him and in you? Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. So if you say, I'm in the light, I love Jesus, and you hate your brother, you're saying just words. But the scripture says, you're in darkness. Well, I've got the light. If you hate your brother, it's lights out. If someone offended you, and you can't stand them, and you've got bitterness and and anger inside of you, it's lights out. You cannot hate your brother and stand in the light, not according to the scripture. It doesn't work like that. Anyone who loves another brother or sister living in the light and does not cause others to, str- to stumble. Another, anyone who loves another brother or sister is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. There it is. When you love your brothers and sisters, you're abiding in the light. And the way you stay in the light, you keep loving your brothers and sisters. The way you stay in the light, you love your spouse. You love those even who have offended you who have caused harm to come to you. Now, if people are prejudicial toward you, they're wrong. Lights out. If they were prejudicial toward you and you hate them for having done that to you, it's lights out for you. The word cuts both ways. So what you must always do, remain in the light, loving God, forgiving people, letting go of offenses. There are certain birds that fly south in the wintertime, 
And some people have assumed, not always correctly, that the only reason they fly south is to get out of the cold weather. Not just the old timers that go to Palm Springs. But not necessarily true here, okay? Most of those birds fly south because of the absence of light. The days are shorter and the nights longer in the colder climate. And so they head for greater light, longevity of light, opportunity for those warm-blooded creatures to have more light and therefore more warmth. Same is true for believers. You cannot do without the sunlight. And, And when you start hating your brother, you step into darkness and coldness. If you say you have the light and hate your brother, you're in darkness. He who loves his brother abides in the light. Now watch this. In the Old Testament, there's a great story. Joshua was leading a battle against an enemy that had to be defeated. And he goes to war with the Amorites because the Amorites had harassed Israel. They tormented the Israelis. And now Israel is engaging the Amorites. And they're fighting for hours throughout the day. And the sun begins to set. And nightfall is right there. So Joshua starts asking God, give me favor here. I've got the Amorites on the run, but they're going to escape to fight another day unless we can defeat them right now and finish this job. We don't want them to wake up tomorrow and fight another day. So we need a little more daylight. He said, I need a little more time to finish them off. So Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, son, stand still over Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the people had revenge upon their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. Whoa! And there has been no day like that before it or after it that the Lord heeded the voice of a man for the Lord fought for Israel. So Joshua spoke to the sun that day and he said, Sun, stand still. And the earth stopped revolving. Suddenly, Joshua has enough light to finish the battle. Now you're in a war against the enemy of your soul who harasses you, beats on you. Do you know how you're going to win this war? You have to have a little more light and get out of the darkness and the coldness. And how do you acquire the light? Anyone who loves another brother or sister is living in the light by living this out with each other. Listen to me. If you say love God, but don't love his son's bride, you have a major blind spot. And Jesus has an issue with you. No, he doesn't have any issues with anybody in the church. We're all saved. Listen to me. Read read the first few chapters of the book of Revelation. When he calls the churches to an account, he says, I've got this against you. I'm going to praise you for the stuff you've been doing right, but I've got this against you. I've got an issue with you. We've got to get this worked on. Okay? Because Jesus shed his blood for his bride. None of us did. He did. And we, the bride, must come together on the Lord's day. We must be in unity. We must come together to love the head of the church, Jesus, to corporately, collectively gather the whole body and love the Lord. When I hear these Christians, and I can't call them followers because everybody in America is a Christian. So now we've got to start designating followers from Christians. Okay followers. And some of these Christians in America, they actually believe this. 
If I send my child to a Catholic school, a Baptist school, a Lutheran school, a Christian school, and they get all the religion they need during the week, fellowship with the body of Christ on Sunday, eh, it's not necessary. Jesus got an issue with that. Big issue with that. You're going into darkness thinking like that. You're putting your children in a position where they're going to grow up potentially to think that way and miss out on what God's will perfectly is in their life related to the body of Christ. You must honor the body of Christ. If you dishonor the body of Christ, you put yourself in grave jeopardy. Let us consider one another in the body to stir up love and good works. You do that when the body comes together, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some, but encouraging one another so much the more as you see the day approaching, because things are going to only happen when the body's together that are never going to happen when you segregate people into little groups. The enemy knows if he can pull you into an offense, if he can pull you into deceit, if he can pull you into disillusionment, to become unfaithful to the body of Christ, bitter over somebody in the church, then he knows it's lights out. And he'll win that warfare. If you want to win that war, you've got to have a little more light. You've got to have some light in order to fight the war. And I'm speaking to someone here this morning. All you need to do is get a little more light and you're going to win this battle. Love your brothers and sisters. Unify with the body of Christ. Fellowship with the family of God. Forgive people. Let it go. And learn to live among others in fellowship and in unity in the family of God. Calvary, we throw down prejudice. We throw down attitudes. We throw down division and dislikes. We throw down offenses. And we choose to step into the light. Get some more light and God will fight your battle for you. You will not win if you're in darkness. You can't fight and win in darkness. If we love, there's light. So the elder brother perfected sonship, but he failed at being a brother. Because it matters how we treat each other in the body of Christ. Just read it to you out of the, out of the book to the first, first book to Corinthians, the church at Corinth. That if we're not careful, we put ourselves in jeopardy physically for dishonoring the body of Christ. Secondly, it's possible to serve the Father and not be in fellowship with him. Hmm. Huh? Oh. How's that possible? Well, notice he was working in the Father's field, but he did not know what was going on in the Father's heart. It's possible to be serving the Lord in church and not in relationship with the Lord. It's possible to come to church every Sunday and go to hell. Well, you mean just being here and going to get me to heaven? Nope. It's possible to show up in church, roll up your sleeves and work and not be in right relationship with the Father. You are not born again by attending church. Not born again because you just try to do better. You're born again when you're washed in the blood of Jesus. He changes your nature. You become a new creation. You don't go back to the same old sins. You don't return to that old lifestyle because Jesus has changed your heart. You need a relationship with the Father 
not just serve him. You need to come out of the field of service and come into the house of relationship. He didn't even know his father loved sinners. He was so far off, he was angry at how much his father loved that sinner. And he accused his brother when his father had forgiven his brother. Now, I know you've heard this a thousand times, but it's busting out of my heart today. Jesus loves sinners. He loves you, and he loves me. And when I accept that, when it becomes your personal revelation, then salvation comes into your life. And that brother said, well, I've served you all these years. But he didn't understand the father's heart, didn't comprehend the greatness of the heart of his father. We need to be baptized once again in the mercy of the Lord. Remember when Jesus walked into the synagogue, first time after he comes out of the wilderness, having been tested of the devil, he walks into the synagogue full of the power of the Holy Spirit. He comes into town, he steps up into the pulpit, and listen to what he reads to the hearers on that worship Saturday. He said when he opened the book, he found the place where it is written. That was Isaiah. And he read, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book. Now watch. Jesus stopped reading one line short of that full text in Isaiah. And this is the line he did not read. And the day of vengeance of our God. Jesus is saying to all those who are going to follow him, you preach me. You preach mercy. You preach truth. Yes, you preach the impending judgment of God. But you leave the vengeance to him. Let him take care of the judgment. And our message is this. God loves you. Jesus loves you. And we love you. And do you hear what I'm saying to you today, church? If you messed up, done something you're ashamed of, have been an abuser, been abused, the Father loves sinners to come home to his house. He loves that. He blessed people in his house. Remember when David stepped into sin? He repents. He comes back into right relationship with the Father. And he renames the Ark of the Covenant. This is an amazing, amazing thing in Scripture. From that point on, David calls the Ark of the Covenant the mercy seat. Read it. Nowhere will you read that from that point on, David ever calls the Ark the Ark of the Covenant. It's never called the Ark of the Covenant again by David. After repenting, after forgiveness, David refers to it as the mercy seat. He understood, this is where I go to get the mercy I need. It was made of pure gold. The mercy seat is made of pure gold. And there were seven pieces of furniture in the tabernacle. And they're all made out of wood overlaid with gold. And if you dug down through the gold, you would always hit wood, not the mercy seat. Some people have the kind of mercy, you know, if you dig just a little bit, you'll hit wood. And they'll only go with you just so far They'll only love you just so far, but God's true mercy in your heart is made up of pure gold. You will never, ever hit wood in the mercy of God. 
pure. Blessed are the merciful, Jesus said, for they shall obtain mercy. Yes. I don't know about you, I need that. Number three, I close. The servant who was heir to nothing had more joy than the son who was heir to everything. The son who was heir to everything stands outside the house pouting. Music's too loud. They're dancing in there, making too much noise. By the way, look at the people that are sitting there. Look at them. You know what that guy did last week? That one was arrested not long ago. They're praying down at our altar. Think about that. And here's the servant, heir to nothing, but welcomed by the Father. And he comes into the singing and into the dancing and into the mercy of the Father. And I hear the Holy Spirit reminding me and telling us as a church, it's time to celebrate and rejoice in the Lord because the joy of the Lord is our strength to come out of the field of service and come into the house and experience the joy of the Father because he's throwing a party and it's better than anything the world has to offer. It's sad that the world throws parties and they have more fun than we do. It's sad that some Christians are going to stay home and watch TV tonight so they can watch the world party when you ought to be in church at the house of the Lord, at the table of the Lord, celebrating, having the best party of your life. Does anybody know your name is written in the Lamb's book of life? When the trumpet sounds, you're going to rise. Rejoice not because devils are subject to you, but because your names are written in the book of life in heaven. That's what Jesus said. But some people will turn the dials and they'll flip the remotes and they'll, they'll see the people who are slaves to greed and slaves to all kinds of sexual acts and bouncing around from bed to bed and slaves to substances that they ingest. And they're having a better party at the Oscars than you who are sons and daughters who inherit everything the Father has. And that ought not to be. Our party at the table of the Lord ought to be the greatest celebration that anyone could experience. Why? Because I've been given mercy. And with all the money and the gowns and the glitz and the awards and accolades, and amongst their stumbling, bumbling words, because they're been before they got up there, what you and I have, they can't buy with all the money they could cumulatively put together and they can't even make a down payment on it and we were given to given it to us freely freely i'm happy i'm born again i'm happy god bestowed his mercy on me i'm happy that god has given me what i am who i am and what i have how about you is anybody here happy about who you are and who you belong to just make me a hired servant I've sinned against heaven and against you, Father. But if you'll just let me be a servant, I'll be thrilled to serve you the rest of my life. But beyond that, Father says, come on in, son. Come on. 
Come on in, daughter. Said, your heart's truly changed. Come into my house. I got a clean set of clothes for you. You got a family ring. It means wherever you take that thing and you stamp it down in wax, I'm good for it. That's what it means. I'll take care of it. Putting shoes back on your feet. We're going to have a feast. There's going to be music. <laughs> We're going to be dancing. We're going to have the time of our lives. Because you were lost, but now you're found. You were dead. Spiritually, now you're alive. We've got a reason to rejoice. If you've got a reason to rejoice, then jump up on your feet, lift your hands, and rejoice and celebrate in the Father's house. It's celebration time.